Okay, and the reading is from uh, Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Amen. Lord, we just thank you so much for Sarah. Lord, thank you that she's a real woman of God that hears your voice, Lord. And we just thank you for the word that you've given her for her for us tonight, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that uh, every heart would be open to receive the word that you've given her. So we bless her, Lord, as she speaks to us. Thank you, Jesus. Evening everybody, it's good to be back after my gallivanting off to Spain, etc. Um, so tonight I want to introduce the concept of um, God's instruction for us to love one another. We're going to do a series of talks on loving one another. So we're going to look particularly at Colossians 3 and just focus a little bit on how and what that looks like. And also in tonight's talk, I want to look at hindrances and the fruit of the one another. So when we actually put that into practice, what does that, um, what impact does that have? And um, so here in this passage, Paul, the apostle, um, which means sent one, one who is building and planting churches, um, he's writing whilst under house arrest. Actually, he's having quite a hard time awaiting trial. It gives you time to think. Um, not that I'd know. Um, anyway, <laughs> he's addressing um, a group of believers in the small city of, of Colossae. I don't know how to say that. Um, it's about it's uh, in southwest Turkey. That's how we would know it today. And he's talking to a guy called Epaphras, who was taught by Paul, he was under him, um, who was the founder of this community of believers. Um, They were under pressure at the time, the church, um, due to a religion called Gnosticism. Gnosticism um, um, is actually an issue now, I think, in a way. Um, Astrology. Who's done their stars? Anybody here done their stars? Am I the only person? (laughs) Guilty. (laughs) Praise God for grace. Um, They believed in angelic visitations and instructions and claimed some supernatural superiority in um, their ability to save themselves. So for salvation. So basically Paul... um, illustrates in previous chapters to this um, the message of grace, the message that salvation can only come through Jesus. Um, and actually, that's a really good foundation for, for this talk because 
uh, it's a talk about how we're supposed to behave with one another, but I would say that the first um, foundational aspect is to know God's love for us in order that we can give that out. So why does God want us to love each other? Well, he is love, 1 John 4, 8. And in John 3.10, whoever doesn't love his brother is not a child of God. Wow. I actually had to ponder that quite a bit. (laughs) Thinking, gosh, that's quite uh, awesome. You see, in in the natural, you know, we have uh, certain features that um, are similar to those of our parents. You know, Tim has his mother's big nose. I, I have my father's big bottom, unfortunately. Sorry, Ellie. I think I'll pass that on. Um, <laughs> you know, and likewise, in the spiritual, we, when we're born again, it is hoped that we actually emanate something of God's love because he is love. So that is the plan, that if we love one another, we, we're from him, aren't we? Or vice versa. If we're from him, we love one another. The passage starts with... Um, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And I think, again, if we know the message of grace, we need to know that we're chosen by him. And I really think he wants to emphasize that tonight. Um, In order to um, be made right, we needed Jesus, didn't we, to be holy. But also he looked for us. Who, Who feels that they were wanted? Who feels that they were looked for and searched for and really wanted by God? You might think that you chose him, but who feels really chosen? Um, You know, he uses several illustrations in the Bible. There's the lost sheep. There's this sheep crawling around in the the outback getting um, hurt on its own. Um, There's the coin and the pearl where there's a lot of effort and energy gone into finding you. So that's a foundation for this passage. So what's said? Well, we're told to be compassionate. That's a feeling for others' misfortune. It's a massive empathy. It's a moving of the heart. We're told to be kind and considerate to others. We're told to be humble. Putting on humility, I think, means knowing your need of God. It means knowing yourself as not anything higher than you are, so that you don't regard other people very much. And it also means not seeing yourself as too low, because if you do that, you don't think you've got anything to give anybody anyway. So nothing's going to come. So it's seeing yourself of equal ranking, but knowing your need of God in that place. Gentle is the opposite of harsh. We all know what it's like to be with harsh characters, people who have what I call ungrace. Do you know what I mean when I say ungrace? I remember being at work and being late a lot. Um, and my boss is just like, well, you should leave earlier, you know. Well, it's the traffic. You know, I'm, I'm trying my best for this early shift. I lived in, I was commuting anyway. So we all know what that's like to be around. And God's saying, no, be the opposite of that. Patient, bearing with one another. I think of Miranda Hart. Bear with, bear with. When her friend's on the <laughs> It's the most irritating thing, but I'm sure there are other things that are more irritating than that about each other that we need to bear with. Forgive whatever grievances you have. Again, that just made me stop and think, oh my gosh, I'm so found wanting. (laughs) 
That's huge. That means there's nothing that you are allowed to hold against your brother or sister in Christ. John 17:11. The, the Son here is having a chat. This is the Holy Trinity, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. They're having a chat, and Jesus is praying to Father God to protect them, talking about us. Protect them, Father. And as we are one, let them be one. Can you imagine that sort of honour that they have for one another and intimacy and respect and security? Can you imagine that if we were like that? And he's saying, Father, protect them that they might be like this. And I'm thinking, why did he say protect them? Probably because we're kind of going to be under attack in that area, aren't we? That's the enemy's line of attack one of the enemy's line of attacks. Because actually when we're doing that, when we are in unity like that, that's when others see that Jesus is among us and that is a real threat to his kingdom, to Satan's kingdom. So he's going to try every tactic. In this passage we're told to clothe ourselves, which to me suggests that we are in a natural state of undress. You know, do you ever look at your brother and sister and think, actually... (laughs) Oh, you got dressed today? No. <laughs> um, you can feel free to say that any time, actually, because I think that's quite good fun. And, um, you know, Romans 12 talks also about offering ourselves as living sacrifices. And I think it's a bit like when we have to clothe ourselves. We've got to be intentional about it. It's sort of suggesting that some action is required here. You know, it just doesn't naturally happen. I don't naturally wake up in the morning and feel the love, you know, not always. Anyway. (laughs) I don't feel like being kind or patient with that particular person on that particular day. It's stuff this, I'm thinking. So we do have to be intentional in getting dressed in these things. And love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? So, philios, this brotherly, sisterly love, you know, if, if the sort of sexual romantic love, who's married here, who's anybody here, yeah. if that wanes, doesn't it, occasionally you think, what I do? <laughs> you know, how much more then with the brothers and sisters in church are we going to think, oh, what am I doing here? This is really hard. That person's really hurt me or that person's so irritating. Um, so we need God's spirit for that. You know, when we look at Galatians um, 5.22, the, the gifts of the spirit, kindness, humility, gentleness, these are all the similar things that are listed if, we, if I said to you, go and heal um, Nathan, he's got a sore foot today, how many of you would pray for the Holy Spirit first because you'd think you needed the Holy Spirit? Nobody. Great. <laughs> Good start. <laughs> yeah, so, so much, how much more, therefore, do we need the Holy Spirit to, to manifest these natural gifts of the Spirit in us? So that's, that's the inhibitions on the inside External inhibitions, things that I've heard people say over the last couple of years. I kind of did a, a little brainstorm. <laughs> it's a bit depressing. Um, I do church when I'm outside on my Sunday run. I do church when I'm working in the garden outdoors. My husband is much more spiritually connected to God and happy when he does not go to church 
than when he does. I don't, <laughs> that's not me, I don't fit into the church demographic. I am too old. I am too young. I am single. I have kids. I don't have kids, etc. I've heard them all. I think I'll take a break for a while. So to a degree, these things have an element of truth in them. God says he's revealed himself to everybody through creation so that no one's without excuse. He also, Jesus retreated from the crowds, didn't he? And there's things in the Psalms about coming away, you know, with your first love to refuel when we're a bit burnt out with everybody. But the problem is with the above statements, if we do that all the time and they become a permanent fixture, it's really all about us and it's not about him. I'm doing church when I am embalmed in the ecclesia, in the community of fellow believers meeting together and hanging out. I'm doing church in that place. I'm doing life then as God intended, and in it I might not be at my best, and I won't be at my most comfortable, and I won't always be at my most happy. But I am where God has put me. You know, if you think of um, a sacrificial altar where an animal is being brought, there's going to be a bit of squirming, isn't there? So with us, when we present ourselves as living sacrifices, you know, we're going to squirm around a bit on the altar and go, I don't feel like that. But that's okay. We're all being changed from one degree of glory to the next. So there's bits of us that need to be chipped off, aren't there? You know, since doing church here, for example. Like Peter, he doesn't like garlic, right? He's allergic to it. And I find that really difficult. And so when I do dinner for Peter, I have to think really, really hard. (laughs) I love garlic, along with coriander. Tim's delighted because he gets a break from it, you know. But, and, and you know, Tamsin and Wayne, they're living in our house at the moment, and they have two dogs, which I really don't like. And the dogs jump up to here, right? And I bought this, this shirt for 20 quid the other day, and I had to hold it up to my bra was showing to walk through the corridor of hell to get to the kitchen because of the dogs. And things like this, being in the body, you know, it's really good for me because it makes me think, right, I need to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to love these people. (laughs) And it reminds me of how selfish I actually can be and how much I'm not like Jesus and I really need to get, get with the flow and put on my kindness and compassion. I actually went to Tamsin to get something from her that day, to be honest. <laughs> and she's very kind, she's very obliging with the orange and the parsley. Anyway, um, so, you know, like life coach, this stuff, this sort of thing, being in the one another's together, hanging out and doing these things, this is really sought after. I don't know, have any of you heard of life coaching? We've got some life coaches here, but you, you pay 40 quid for half an hour of, of somebody, as Ellie says, you're just basically paying for somebody to be your friend. <laughs> I've got a friend who's a life coach, and she was like going, well, I'm eating coffee bars and um, restaurants and things. I'm thinking, that sounds really cool. And she said it pays for my clothes, you know, and I'm thinking, 
what is this job? And she talks about it, and, and I'm talking to her, and she said, do you know, so it's quite amazing that you've moved from a place of not really knowing what you wanted to do to really being sure of where you're going this year. Because I told you a bit about um, whether to go for jobs and things like that. She said, how have you managed to do that in such a short amount of time with no life coaching? I said, well, Sally, actually, it is possible. And you see, I'm in this prayer triplet, and I spent about half an hour with them chatting, bouncing things off them, all the things that you do when you're having coffee for £45 an hour. And um, I concluded that this is the way forward. And she said, that's amazing. I said, really? The reason why you are paid and in employment is because society is quite busted and broken. And we're not doing life as God's intended. And that's what pays your bills, your clothes. And that left her thinking a little bit. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm really sorry if anybody's a life coach here. I'm really sure you're doing a great job. And actually, it is part of the kingdom. I am convinced of that. Um, so it's a privilege to be in the body, isn't it? Um, it might not feel like it, but it actually is, because otherwise it wouldn't have been a form of discipline. Um, you know, it, it, we're told to expel the immoral brother, the person who's in real rebellion, unfortunately we've had to do this a couple of times, to say actually you're not welcome in the body in fellowship at the moment because you need to repent. And so to be withdrawn from the blessings of being together, being church together, is a form of discipline. Therefore, you know, it is a real blessing to be together. And I think sometimes we take it for granted and maybe sometimes we distance ourselves because of things that have happened which have caused us to protect ourselves. And I'll just say a few things that church isn't. Church is not outwardly judging of others. It shouldn't be. Around appearance, intellectual capacity, attendance at meetings. It's not exclusive. It's not for the married. It's not for the divorced. It's not for the well, the affluent. Vocationally successful, spiritually soaring. Inclusive. If a poor person comes in, who is going to offer them a seat? If someone comes in and they need a fiver because they're short of cash, who's going to offer them some money? I had a conversation with a friend who came to dinner the other night, and she um, was telling. We were talking about how difficult it is sometimes in rich church to live by faith when things are a bit tight and people are having takeaways and things and can't afford it. Um, and she said, you know, there was one week where her husband was really doing a good job, but he just didn't have enough money for her to feed because she was at, um, at home with the children. They had young kids at the time. And she said, one lady said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'll really pray for you this week. And then another, another person that she went to said, hang on a minute and she went to her freezer and she got a bag of frozen choice meat and said here and my friend said you know what the second person blessed me so much more than the first and how often do we just chuck religious um, statements or verses or prayer at the problem when actually God said I want you to be kind I want you to just do something kind I want you to have some compassion I want to move you with the things that move me. 
Church is not um, a club or a hobby that I can opt out of or in when I feel like it for my own well-being. It is neither is it being a doormat or getting burnt out. I just want to touch on that issue slightly. Um, an issue of boundaries. In Galatians 6, it says, bear one another's burdens. And then in verse 3 later, it says, each one should carry his own load. So bear one another's burdens, each one should carry his own load. This sounds a bit like a contradiction, but actually, if we look at it in more depth, the burden here means excessive um, carriage, you know, excessive burden. So, like um, my husband died last week, um, the load is referred to as the, the daily deal of life, like Monday morning, <laughs> we're going, you know, my job, things I have to do. So, we're called at times to. Um, bear one another's burdens, excessive stuff that people shouldn't have to shoulder on their own. But we're not called to take on board other people's stuff that they are responsible for. And I think sometimes we get a bit fudged with our boundaries and we think we get sucked into issues that actually aren't our responsibility. And then other times we're so flipping burnt out doing that that we don't see the massive burden that somebody's... And it's like another thing to have to do then. So I think it's really important to to know where your responsibilities begin and end. And also your personal boundaries, where, say, if somebody needed to talk in great depth, uh, I don't know, someone who's having a major crisis, um, and it was a Wednesday. Wednesday's really busy for me with the kids, and I hadn't done the washing up that day and the washing and the laundry. And I, I need to say no to that if I know that later on I'm not going to be able to do the homework and I'm going to be crabby because I haven't done the pants for tomorrow and everything else that needs doing. So we've got to just discern and take responsibility actually for the boundaries and where that begins and ends for us in in Christian service I think. Um, So Romans 12 after calling us to live sacrificial lives it states this is not the way of the world. I love that. I think we've got such an opportunity to just go totally against the tide. I always remember our neighbour flicking her curtains and saying to me, Sarah, is that another car in your drive again? What is going on? And Tim had a car problem, and all these people in church kept lending us cars. It was great fun. She thought it was quite awesome that we lived that sort of one-another lifestyle, that we shared things to that level, and she just couldn't quite get that. But it was great witness, I think. And we live in such a unique time of opportunity, I think, because we're quite small, as, as relatively speaking, as church goes. Um, I think we've got a chance to really get to know each other properly and to really be real and to exercise those fruits of the Spirit with one another like you wouldn't have in big church. Sometimes we get lost in big church and there's not chance to to really do it well. Um, And if we don't take this chance, and if we get into the whole slander scene and the insecurities and start dissing each other and stuff, you know, it's like we're shooting ourselves in the foot. But I kind of think these instructions wouldn't have been written if God didn't know that we'd fail sometimes, you know. He wouldn't need to write it down for us. 
Um, in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, I'm just going to read it. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. And I always think of um, Tim's dad in this photograph when I think of buildings, you know, and I think of the tunnel that he, he built. Um, I've been on the Channel Tunnel and it's really nice. And it looks great now. It's a real smooth run. You don't even know you're doing it. But when it was being built, you know, he was in it up to his neck. There's mud everywhere. He's in his overalls. And actually, sometimes that's what it's like, you know, in church. We're, we're messy, we get it wrong, and we're a building in progress. So it's better to think of ourselves as a building in progress rather than the, the finished article already you know, in our Bible clothes for the Jesus to come back tomorrow. Actually, we're not ready. We, we're still building together. And there's this little quote from a book I'm reading at the moment called The Blessings of a Messy House. <laughs> um, it says, building work is untidy. Problems requiring expert help to iron out during the building process will occur, but they are not insurmountable. The body doesn't always operate correctly. We may limp, we may ache at times, but we are still chosen by him. So I'm just going to finish on, on that fact that we are chosen by him. And that I really would encourage you to, to dwell on it and to receive the truth of that in order to give out. I just felt God say while I was on my way here tonight that he wanted to put people that have been at the tail of a situation back at the head. And he's seen you in perhaps an oppressive situation. I don't know whether it's at work or relationship or something, and you've really been faithful to him, and he's seen that, and he's seen you serving, um, and he's seen your heart, and he wants to put you in a place of influence over others and reposition you. Um, I don't know whether that rings true to anybody, but I'd love to pray with you afterwards. And I also sensed God really wanting to impart his spirit tonight, his glory and his power to those of us that feel a bit weak when we think about this, you know, when we think, oh, I've got anything left. And also, I feel he wants to heal. There's so much healing in his wings. And where people have been bashed by church, I'd really like to encourage us to forgive, which isn't easy. But just to allow God to be the judge in that place and to, to leave it with him and to let it go this evening so that we can get healed up and just move on into fresh things. I'm going to pray now. I've instructed by him. Father, thank you for the privilege that it is to be in the body. Lord, we come to you in 
a place of reality and just say, Lord, we are weak. And we know that it's not always going to be smooth. And we know that it, we won't always feel fluffy and warm and um, committed to one another in the way that you desire. But we also trust that you have put us together because it's the best place for us. And that you're changing us from one degree of glory to the next. And that it's in your strength that we are strong. It's in your compassion that we feel compassion. It's in your kindness to us that we are able to be kind to others. It's in knowing who you are and how we need you that we know a humility amongst brothers and sisters. So we ask, Lord, that you'd come by your Spirit and help us to let things go, to forgive whatever grievances we have, not just some, but whatever grievances we have, that they may become history in order that you can reshape the future and that the past doesn't steal from us. Just pour your Spirit out tonight, Lord. I thank you for that picture of an eagle just coming down and scooping us up and helping us to soar on your wings. Lord, I thank you for all those who you want to reposition in place of responsibility. And you say, I'm the God who sees you. And I want to put you at the head of the situation now. Because you've been faithful to me, I'll entrust you with new things. I pray for your blessing and favour on them in Jesus' name.